not done with John chapter 1. No, we're not done with John chapter 1. A father um, told of his experience a few weeks after Christmas that he had during the Christmas season with his little, his, his family. Um, he said, although the Christmas holidays are, are getting smaller and smaller in our rearview mirror, he said, a Christmas time question asked by my young son continues to linger in my head. We had gathered with friends for, for one of the holiday's first Christmas parties on the first Friday in December. We enjoyed tasty food, great conversation, special music of the season, a twist on a Christmas ornament gift exchange that left us all cracking up. And then as our family began gathering our things and getting ready to head out the door, three-year-old Miller grabbed my pant leg and asked, Is Christmas done? Well, music was playing, dishes were clinking in the kitchen, parents were rounding up their kids, holiday chatter was all around, but everything was temporarily drowned out by the honest questioning that can come only from a child. And I said, no, son, there's a lot more Christmas to go. So let's go home and, and get a bath and get ready for tomorrow. Well, that was how this grown-up dad answered a little child's simple but profound question. As Miller sat buckled in his seat on the ride home, and as I thought more about it in the weeks that followed, there was a lot more of his question to his question than I first realized. Not only did he ask it, the party of Christmas was done. He repeated it over and over throughout the holidays. Every morning during December, he'd wake up and ask first thing, is Christmas done? Uh, after we'd leave another Christmas party or Christmas concert, he'd ask, is Christmas done? He said, part of me wanted Christmas Day to hurry up and arrive so I could finally say, yes, Christmas is done. Americans like things to be done. We like microwaves to get our food done fast, or Instapots, or convection ovens, or whatever new gadget promises to prepare our food faster. We want our TV programs to wrap up and be over with, uh, nicely and quickly. Uh, we live our life in that get-or-done kind of way, and, and enjoying the completion of tasks and regularly checking things off verbial to-do lists. It seems to me that Christmas was never meant to be done, though. Sure, the celebration of Christmas comes around once a year, but the cause of the celebration is the one who has come to give us hope and peace all year long. Isaiah said long ago, the virgin would conceive and bear a son. He would be called Emmanuel. Matthew quoted Isaiah and tells us Emmanuel means God with us in Matthew 1.23. Before he ascended to the Father after the resurrection, Jesus promised, I am with you always, uh, even to the age. Well, if you count the celebrations, probably yes. This was written by him. We've taken the tree down at our house. The stockings aren't hung by the chimney anymore. All the Christmas goodies in the kitchen counter are gone. The Christmas decorations have been boxed up and hauled back to the attic. After explaining all those things, the father concluded with these words, knowing what, what it is all about causes me to realize that the answer to my son's question is, no, Miller, Jesus is always with us. Christmas is never done. As I was pondering the message for this evening, I considered looking at John the Baptist in the passage that we've studied in John chapter 1 for the last uh, few weeks. 
And then as I consider John chapter 1, I realize that if we want to get real picky, there's probably only six or seven verses that really deal with the birth of Jesus Christ. And quite frankly, if we want to really get technical about the matter, it's just verse 14 in the entire chapter. But it was then that I came across the story told by the Father, and I realized that what John the Baptist did had as much to do with the Christmas story as the, as the birth of Christ recorded in Luke chapter 2. And so does every other event recorded by each one of the apostles in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of the writers, sorry, in those first four books of the Bible. In fact, quite frankly, we could preach from anywhere in the Bible because either the Bible's looking back to Jesus or looking forward to Jesus. Whichever place you happen to be in, it's all about him. So Christmas, <laughs> Christmas is never done. And, uh, and so I'm going to take you to, to, to John. And I've never actually preached about John the Baptist from John chapter 1, which is kind of an amazing thing. But I think there's a reason for that. The reason for that is because if we're going to preach John chapter 1, we do need to focus on Jesus Christ. And we've sought to do that uh, for last Sunday morning, last Sunday night, and then this morning as well, as we saw three pictures of Jesus given in this chapter. But as I was reading through the chapter and, and, and thinking about and preparing the messages, I, I kept coming back to John the Baptist and his ministry. And so if we could this evening, uh, since Christmas is never done, uh, let's look at John and let's see what we can learn from him and from his life. And I hope you'll be challenged by it. I uh, did even make up an outline for anyone that would be interested. And Brother Murphy, do you mind getting those out for me? If you wouldn't, I appreciate your help in that way. Uh, for anyone that would like them, that would be, uh, they're there for you. Uh, if not, that's fine. All right. John chapter 1. And, uh, and we begin, we at least see the first time John mentioned in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And that is our introduction to John the Baptist. Truly an amazing, amazing man that was used of God in a mighty way as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. This was a man that was foretold by the prophets as one that would come and he would precede the Messiah, and that he would, his ministry would be totally focused on the Messiah. In fact, we learn that in verse 7. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Um, and what's interesting about John the Baptist is as you read this through, there were people who thought he was the Christ, and people who questioned him about that. Well, are you the Christ? And he confessed clearly, I am not the Christ. So he was fulfilling his purpose. So I, have a, I started out in our outline just John's purpose. And I think it's important for us to see this if we're going to understand and maybe get the picture we should about John the Baptist and his ministry of magnifying Jesus Christ. Our introduction to the other John, as we said in this book, begins there in verse 6. And, uh, and then we're going to see him uh, at work in just a few moments. But uh, let's learn from his life. Here's what we find about him. First of all, he had a ministry from God. I learned something I never knew before. Uh, John the Apostle called John the Baptist an apostle. And he actually calls him that in verse 6. 
You say, well, wait a second, I don't see the word apostle. There was a man, and what's the word after that? Sent from God. The word sent there is apostolo. So he considered him, if you would, an apostle. One that had been called to and sent with a purpose. He was set apart, sent out by God to do a work that needed to be done, to proclaim the Messiah. And he had a powerful ministry. By the way, a very unique ministry. I mean, you know, he lived out in the, in the wilderness. And we know, we know some strange things about him. I mean, you, you probably would have thought this guy was nuts, bizarre, right? Where, where was he out? He was out in the wilderness preaching? What did he eat? Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a great diet, doesn't it? Wild locusts and honey. Yeah. What other things are there? I mean, are there tame locusts? That's what I want to know. All right. <laughs> okay. Wow, I don't know where I got on. It didn't even have that in my notes. But anyway, he had quite a ministry, a unique ministry, but it was a ministry, my friends, from God. We learn also this. Look at verse 7. The, the same came for a witness. That word witness is interesting because the word in, in the Greek, here we go in the languages, and I'm not trying to, try to uh, you know, impress anyone or anything like that, but the word for it is martyr. So he was not only, not only did he have a ministry from God, but he was a martyr for God. Now, when we think of a martyr, what do we think of? Someone who has, all right, given their... Now, we could argue that he became one later on because as he was doing God's work, uh, he ended up offending the king or Herod, and, uh, and ended up losing his head over that um, because Herod's wife wasn't happy about the fact that he condemned the fact that Herod was married to her uh, because uh, that's, that's another story for another time, all right? But he was, at least according to Scripture, a martyr. Uh, the word martyr here is interesting because it does literally mean a witness or a testimony about something or someone, and if you look at this passage, look in verse, so, so his job was, right, he came for what reason? To be this martyr in verse 7, right? Look at verse 15. It says, John bear witness. John martyred for him. Look in verse 19. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask uh, him, who art thou? And the word record of John there is the word martyr. It was the record, it was the witness, it was the testimony of, of John. Uh, look, if you would, at verse 32. In verse 32, and John bare record, he martyred, he testified. Um, in verse 34, and I saw and, and bare record that this is the Son of God. So, John the Baptist, you got a job to do, here's your ministry, you're a martyr for me, okay? You're a witness for me. And as we look at him, uh, it's impressive because John then gives his testimony. He's an apostle, and John says his job was to be a witness. And then he tells us over and over in this chapter that's exactly what he did. We find in John chapter 3, the other primary, if you would, mention of John the Baptist is that he did the very same thing there when he said he must increase, I must decrease. And so he was a great martyr for Jesus Christ. And then notice he had a motive. Look at the end of verse 7. What was it? Why did he bear witness of the light? 
that all men, through him, what was his motive? My belief, he had a driving passion in life. What drove him? What was the focus? What was his motive? What was his, what was his job? It was this. He wanted everyone to believe. So when you met John the Baptist, you would know that he had a job to do because he was doing it. He was constantly witnessing, and the purpose of his witnessing was he wanted all men to believe. So that was it. That was his, that was his life, and, uh, and that is, if you would, John, it was John's purpose. Now we see John's proclamation in verse 15. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And so his proclamation, uh, a number of things about this, this proclamation. He witnessed, okay, he was that martyr. He did it faithfully. We've already mentioned the verses that you see that, that, that talked about, but quite frankly, whenever he is mentioned in the Bible, when you have, see him in the Gospels, he is about that work. I mean, he lived in the wilderness, and people would come out to him, and when people came out, he would be involved in baptism and, and preaching the, the message of, of a coming Messiah. So he witnessed faithfully. By the way, uh, he witnessed, look in verse 15 again, John bear witness of him, and then what does it say? What are the next two words? And cried. You know, that's one of those things. It's one of the things you miss. It's kind of like, behold, the Lamb of God. You kind of miss sometimes in the language that that is an exclamation. And that is meant to be driven home. Well, here, uh, this idea, sometimes we miss this. But John bare witness of him and cried, saying. Now, that, that isn't, he wasn't crying. He wasn't tearful. All right? That isn't what it, what it means. It means to cry out to, if you would, to, to sometimes even to scream. He cried forcefully. So he witnessed faithfully. He witnessed forcefully. He wasn't timid in his work. By the way, I, I get convicted about that when I read through that and I thought about how John the, the Baptist went about his work because he wasn't timid in sharing Jesus Christ. I mean, you, you wouldn't have questioned. You wouldn't have wondered. You wouldn't have been going around saying, well, you know, yeah, you know the, the, where does John stand? What do you think about that, John? I mean, you would know because he was one that was just bold in his standing uh, for Jesus Christ. And he cried out forcefully so that people would hear and receive the message. He was passionate about his task. And I'm sorry, but there's no F for the last point. But he witnessed selflessly and humbly. You see that in verse 15. It actually is mentioned a little bit later on in verse 30. Again, he that cometh after me is preferred before me. If you look at verse 27, he it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. Verse, 20, um, verse 29, he makes a confession, behold the Lamb of God. And then in verse 30, um, uh, this is he of whom I said, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. If you don't get that point, you, you know, you, you missed actually a real key element of what John shared with people. He's, I, I, I'm not important. He is. And so, he, so here is a guy who, quite frankly, had a great following. From everything we know, multitudes came. The reason why we have what happens in verse 19 when the Jews and the priests and the Levites come and start questioning John about his ministry is because he was popular. It's because people were coming out and they wanted to hear him. Because this guy, well, they want, I think they wanted to see him at times, you know. Guy wearing, wearing a, you know, what, 
camel hair uh, outfit and we're eating wild locusts and honey. I mean, I want to just hear, I want to hear this guy speak. This is one of those evangelists that, you know, he comes in and, and everyone wants to come and see him just because, just because of his manner. Um, reminds me of my brother Paul, you know, just want to, just want to hear him, you know. Uh, there's, there's something about it. And, uh, but John, John the Baptist was that way. But, but, but even though he was so unique and even though he had this great following, everything about him was, it's not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. And you couldn't miss that message. Because th- three different times he, he said, look, the one that comes after me is preferred before me. He was before me. And I, I just, I, I want you to know, it's, it's not about me. So he witnessed selflessly and humbly. Uh, what a, what a, a, a man that God used. But then we start in verse 19 and we have John's problem. Well, what was John's problem? Huh, I put it, the critics in verse 19. This is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? You know, now look, um, uh, this, this is an amazing thing. John's out in the wilderness, so they have to go out of their way to do this. But there's a reason why these people did this. There's a reason why the Jews sent men out to to question John. Uh, They wanted to make him look bad. By the way, uh, you look at Jesus Christ and you look at the crucifixion. You look at all the passages around there and how many times the different religious leaders came or sent people to ask him questions, to trip him up, to make him look bad. It's because, look, they were all about power. They weren't about honoring God. They weren't concerned about whether John was truly of God. They wanted to ruin his opportunity to witness. So here's John ministering to people. That would be the indication. And in verse 19, these people come and they say, well, who art thou? Like, in other words, what's, why do you have right to speak as you do and to baptize and to do these things that you're doing? John, who gave you that right? And I love it because John never answered him. He didn't. He said, in fact, he, um, uh, let's see, he said in verse 23, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said, said the prophet Isaiah. Um, and they asked him and said in verse 25, why do you baptize if you're not Christ or Elias and you're not that prophet? And he didn't answer. He answered them saying, he did answer, but he just said, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. That doesn't sound like an answer to me. Does it sound like an answer to you? Basically, it's this. I'm going to keep doing this. This is what, I, what, what I'm, I'm called to do. But he didn't even say I was called to do it, and he didn't tell him who sent him, even though God had sent him. He just basically was, I'm, I'm going to do work, and I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ. Um, by the way, this is a sideline. And I, I know you don't, you're not supposed to get off on, on rabbit trails. But, but today, understand this. Um, most everything that goes on in our world, uh, whether it was during that time or even in our day today, is, is all about people wanting power. Uh, it's about people wanting control because people want to control lives. People want authority. People want people, if you would, to bow down to them, to respect them to give them reverence, and when that power is taken from people, they get mighty offended. That's what happened here in this, in this chapter. Um, and we, we see that in society all the time. Uh, it, it really is. It becomes a, about power. Uh, we've seen that a lot, and I, again, don't want to get off on, on the subject all that much, but 
uh, a lot of the things that have happened over the last couple of years is not about really the safety of people. It's about power. It really is. It's about control. It's about being able to tell people what they're going to do and how they're going to live their life because people are all about, about being in control. And, uh, and having authority and, and being respected and having people, if you would, worship them. Uh, by the way, that happens in just about every area, not just in government. That happens in homes where, where, um, where a husband might long to be in control of their marriage and might learn to manipulate his wife by um, threatening to walk out on his wife because she won't bow to his wishes. Um, a woman might use tears to get her way in a marriage to have what she wants. Children learn to pitch fits. And actually, we, you know, sometimes it's almost encouraged because they find that they can get what they want. And you know, that is just a sinful human nature that just wants to control. And that was what was going on. Understand this. These verses had nothing to do with, about, with people that were really concerned about John. It was all about making John look bad, and he didn't because he had a work from God, and he honored God in doing that very thing. So he had the critics. And then we have the confession in verses 20 to 23, back from the rabbit trail there. And uh, his confession was, I'm not the Christ. It's not about me. It's not about what I'm doing. It's not about, about it, it's, I'm just, I'm telling you, I am not the Christ. And then we have the criticism in verses 24 and 25. Well, if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elias, if you're not that prophet, which is kind of interesting because it, it seems to, in, in, okay, he wasn't the, uh, Elijah and, and the, the, the prophet, uh, the two talked about later on, but, but John was the one talked about as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And, um, and so uh, there's, there's some things we could, we could probably argue about that, but here they bring this criticism, why are you doing that? And then we have uh, John, uh, fourthly, uh, making clarification. So, so this is, again, John didn't back down from these critics who questioned his right to preach and baptize. He stood up to them. And notice, again, those verses. Look at verse 26. John answered them saying, I baptize with water. In other words, I'm going to do this. I have done it. I will do it. I'm going to keep doing it. Tough luck, gentlemen. He didn't say that, but I think that was in the Greek, I, I think. No, it wasn't. All right. Our, our translation isn't missing anything. But, uh, you know, um, you know I, yeah, we could have said a lot of things. But, uh, but John, I baptize with water. But notice, notice this. This is, this is amazing. He levels a charge at these guys. Look at it. This is, uh, in, in fact, I, I actually... As I was reading, but as I started to look at John the, the Baptist and see what he was saying, uh, he, here's what he says. But there standeth one among you, look at this statement, whom ye know not. What? Who is it that we don't know? They didn't know the, the Messiah. And, and so, John. This really is, he, he, it's like just hitting him right between the eyes. You don't even know the guy that I represent and that I'm talking about and that my ministry is all about magnifying, so I'm not even going to, I am not even going to venture to try to answer your questions because I have a work from him. And that, that is an amazing thing. 
And it is actually quite a charge because he said, you don't even know him. And here were the religious, think about this. These were the religious leaders in Israel. Men that should know. Am I right? The Messiah. And he said, you don't even know him. What a, what a charge. Uh, by the way, here we could, we could go off here. Most organized religions don't know the Jesus of the Bible. They don't know the Messiah. As he's found even in John chapter 1, as we preached over the last uh, three services. They just don't know it. An amazing thing. And he said, there's one among you you don't even know. And again, that's a caustic remark. And this one is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He said that in verse 33. You don't even know him. How could it be that the leaders in religion wouldn't even know the Son of God? And that's how he describes him. Look in verse 34. And I saw on bare record, this is the Son of God. I am representative and I'm a preacher of the Son of God and you don't even know him. Do you, do you get that? that? I'll tell you, that just took some real... That took some real all right, moxie, that's, that's the word we use for it. That just took some real, some real guts to stand up to these religious people and say, you don't know the Son of God, but I represent him, and I'm going to keep doing it. So don't tell me what to do. Uh, and yet it wasn't proud because he, he was lifting up Jesus Christ. His whole focus was, it wasn't about tough luck, man. It's I got to work from God, and I'm not going to stop doing that work. And there's someone you don't even know that I'm here to tell people about. And if, you would, if, you'd stay, if you'd stay and listen to my preaching, you'd hear about it. Um, and that isn't in the Greek either. So, so, but that almost seems to be uh, his intent. Then we have the preaching of John, the preaching of, of John the Baptist. Verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him. And as we looked at this morning, uh, and, and that's why we're not going to take a lot of time on this one, all right? We've, we, you, you know, we've already preached the passage, the verses. But uh, the preaching was, he talked about the sin taker. I love it, verse 29. Um, in verse 33, he talks about the Savior. Now, it's not mentioned that way, but he's the one who's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. And there's only one who can baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And by the way, that baptism takes place the moment you believe. You're baptized into the body of Christ. And he does that Holy Spirit baptism. What a wonderful work Jesus Christ does for us. His Holy Spirit baptism is not a work after salvation. It is the work of salvation. And that is what Jesus came to do. Um, and then uh, he talks about the sin taker, the Savior, then verse 33, and then the Son of God. And that's some straightforward, powerful preaching John doesn't mince, mince words, but he clearly declares Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who will give salvation to men and provide them with God's Spirit. He's the one who will deal with our sin problem once for all. Great preaching. Um, and there's a good lesson for any preacher boys, right? Um, then let's just, let's just conclude with this, the pattern. Now, i got to say it again. There's a reason why John the Baptist is ignored in John 1. There's a reason why we preach John 1 and we don't mention John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist wasn't about John the Baptist. Okay? And, and we understand that. And we have, if, if you don't understand that, I think we've been clear about the fact it's all about Jesus. Understand that. But when you look at his life and you look at what he did and you look at the testimony of him here, 
It is just an amazing thing to see him and what he did. And there's some things to learn from that. And so it, rightfully so, we look at Jesus. He's the theme of John chapter 1. He's the theme of the entire Bible. But do you know what Jesus said about, about, about John the Baptist? Here's what he said. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Now Jesus finished the statement by saying, Notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But that is quite a testimony from Jesus Christ about John the Baptist, isn't it? I mean, quite a testimony about his life. So don't be mistaken. Although this chapter is all about Jesus, John the Baptist is worth contemplating and thinking about and evaluating here in this chapter. And so I have three thoughts then to leave with you, a good pattern from his life. The first would be this, to fulfill your purpose. Now, let me be clear. No one in this room, no one in the United States of America, no one in the entire world has been called like John the Baptist. No one. He certainly had a very unique calling from before birth. He had a ministry. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, and none of us can claim that, all right? No one. If you get up and you, you start wearing camel hair outfits, and you start saying that, uh, that God sent you, you're not going to be welcome here at Spring Meadow, okay? We know that, and we understand that. And I am not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that you and I uh, have been called like him. But I will say this. You and I do have a purpose. And you and I do have a calling. And as I look at, at John the Baptist, and I see a man who had a work from God, who did that work, um, I think it's appropriate for us to at least challenge God's people to fulfill our calling. You say, so, so what is our calling? Well, we could look at the Gospels, but I, I love the way Acts 1.8 says, says it. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be martyrs unto me. Martyrs. Same word used of John. You're to be a witness. You should be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That word is the same form as used to describe John's calling. We're to be martyrs for Jesus Christ. Witnesses. We're to tell other people. People around us need to hear the news, and the only way it's going to happen is if we do our job. Now, here's the truth, and we know this. But there are people that only you will come in contact with. Um, there are neighbors that you live around that we won't have opportunity to witness to or talk to um, in ways that you will. And so uh, let's understand that, that although none of us have the calling of John the Baptist, all of us have the calling of John the Baptist. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? We are to be witnesses. And so let's fulfill our purpose. Let's do what God has called us to do. Um, the, the, the reason we have John ch chapter 1, the reason we learn about Jesus being the lamb is because 
John the Baptist did his job. Do you get this? So everything we preached this morning came because John was a martyr. He did his job. John the Apostle was a martyr. He did his job. In fact, if you want to say the whole New Testament is because people did their job. They fulfilled what God called them to, and you and I have a job to do. The, the second challenge that I want to give you that, that I received as I was thinking of John the Baptist's life is we've got a calling to fulfill. Do it passionately. If, anyone, if, if there's any description of John and what he did, it was passionate. It was passionate. He said, you don't even know him. I'm gonna be, I baptized with water. There's one coming after me. And he said, you don't even know him, and he's the one I'm proclaiming to you. He's the son of God. He is, um, he is uh, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. You need to know him. Do it passionately. He cried. Uh, he just shouted out, man, uh, the, the, those revival meetings must have been truly, truly exciting experiences. Uh, I put it this way. He did his work faithfully, energetically, humbly, so that people would be saved. And uh, I wrote these words. Do those words describe your commitment to this grand purpose of life to share Jesus Christ? And, and if, if, if you're not convicted by that, I am. Faithfully, energetically, humbly. In the 1980s, an article was written in the USA Today about... Um, a winning football coach. His name was Joe Gibbs. You might have known the name. Joe Gibbs, in the article, said, is a coach of unbelievable dedication to his task of winning. He was in a party mood after his Washington Redskins routed the Denver Broncos. I know we're not supposed to use the word Redskin, but I'm, I'm not politically correct. Um, the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl twenty two. I was just getting ready to go out and have some fun for the first time in six months, says Gibbs. What did he mean? Well, this is the article. Joe sleeps at the office three nights a week during the season. He spends hours every day in preparation for the next opponent and working with the players. Preacher who shared the newspaper clipping said this. As I read those words from a recent issue of USA Today, I asked myself, what actions in my life show my commitment to Christ like Joe Gibbs shows for football? And then he said, I've not yet answered that question. What about you? John had a calling, and he was passionate about it. You have a calling, and like him, you should be passionate. And then the, the final point, which is um, what we see portrayed really clearly in John chapter 1, but I love John chapter 3. If you want to turn over there, because um, John's disciples and the Jews, there was d debate going on starting in verse 25. They come to John, and they start to talk about a guy who's baptizing, and all men are coming to him. 
who, which is Jesus, okay? Now, Jesus didn't baptize, but his followers did. And so this was going on. And John said, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I, that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. You know what John said? This is, this is the Christ that we're talking about here. In essence, this is the Christ. And I'm happy. I am happy that more people are coming and being baptized by him than, than I'm doing. I am thrilled that people are, uh, that are attentive to him because he is what I'm all about. And that's where we have these wonderful words. He must increase, but I must decrease. And, and the last point that we can, not, not that we could say about John the Baptist, but that we're going to share tonight is this, live selflessly. John was not on a self-promotion tour in Israel. He wasn't. And it's clear he wasn't. There is absolutely no doubt. You can't read John 1 and John 3 and come away with any other idea than this. John was not about himself at all. In fact, just living in the wilderness and having the ministry he did, kind of, you would say, an itinerant ministry, uh, totally selflessly living to do one thing, to fulfill his purpose in life. Just selfless. And, uh, and, and quite frankly, when I, when, I, um, when I look at Christ, I marvel in John 1. But when I look at John the Baptist, I'm, uh, I'm greatly challenged. And I hope you will be as well. Because he was a, a man that God used and used in a wonderful way and um, and I'd like God to use me wouldn't you and that really is what it takes people who have a have a purpose who do it passionately and who live selflessly and um, I think that's a great way to end Christmas Day because I think that's what God would have us do is to be like John the Baptist who lived that kind of life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And no, we're not going to have...